Testing one, two. All right. We got people up there. Good evening, everybody. Who wants to lead us in a song? Wow, it got quiet. Now, we, as you can see, oh, she's going to be bringing, <laughs> bringing in the sheaves. As you can see, our, our praise, Mike, he, he absconded with our praise and worship team, everything. I mean, um, our sound man is different, right? Sam, we got you up there, though. He's holding down the fort, so we do have sound. So we are going to, we're going to get started tonight. We're going to get into the Word. But before we do, I'm going to um, give some announcements. We got the Secret Prayer Sisters Sunday, November the 5th. Following the, the morning service is the luncheon that they are having. Um, if you want to join them for lunch, they're going to be going to, what is the name of that place? What? Yeah. I know, y'all are all, <laughs> what they said, Jin Ying, Lin Ying, the, <laughs> the other Chinese place, that's what we call it, you know, there's the Chinese place and the other Chinese place, y'all know, that's right. So, and then also, um, November the 12th is our Veterans Recognition Service, so you want to make sure that you're here for that. Tonight, as we get started and open in prayer, does anybody have, it's more casual, obviously, as you can tell, so y'all don't be afraid. You can talk, just don't say anything, you know, too long, not to shut you down, well, or bad. Okay, that's right. Do we have any do we have any needs tonight that that we need to take to the Lord before we open? Anything in the room right now that you say we need to have we need to have prayer for? Anything? Let's continue to pray. We visited with Tawana and Dennis and Dennis they thought he had a broken shoulder. He doesn't. They thought he was dislocated. It wasn't. He had a, a severe pinched nerve. And so he is he's doing better. We visited with them. Tawana is getting stronger after her hip replacement. And so, but let's continue to pray for them as they are both um, gaining strength. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this family, yeah. Okay. What is it? Paula Jones, still battling cancer. Um, and then this one who had an accident. Anyone else? Let's, let's take these to the Lord. Father, we thank you, God. We thank you, Lord God, that you hear and answer prayer. And Lord God, we come to you right now on behalf of this one who has suffered this accident, Lord God, who has his infections, Lord, that the doctors are having trouble isolating. I pray right now, we just send the healing word to him, Lord God, that you would touch his body, Lord God, that all the infection, Lord God, would just begin to dissipate in his body, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, for medical science, but we know their reach is limited and your reach is 
not limited. And right now, Lord, we just ask, Lord God, for healing virtue to go forth. We send your word to this body, Lord, and we call it healed in the name of Jesus, for by your stripes we were healed. I just thank you, Lord God, that you are touching bodies in our midst, Lord God. I pray, Father, for Paula, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen her, Lord God, that you, Father, would give her, God, a complete eradication of cancer, Lord God, that you would raise her up, Lord God, to glorify you. We thank you, God, for all you do for us, Lord, and ask tonight that you would open our ears to hear, Lord God, as we come to you before your word, Lord, that you would give us, Lord God, revelation knowledge. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, Lord God, just to come into this place, Lord God, and shine the light, Lord God, in our midst tonight. We praise you and thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's turn in your Bible tonight to Proverbs 22 and 10, a fun scripture we're going to look at a little bit. And we're going we're gonna to sort of just, just push our way through, and we'll probably end up in Galatians 6 in a little bit. And, but we're going to look at some different aspects of this scripture tonight. As the title of tonight's message is Remove the Mocker. Remove the Mocker. Proverbs 22 and 10 says, cast out the scoffer or the mocker and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. The Aramaic Bible says it this way. I always like to check the Aramaic Bible because I figure it's closer to the source. So it says this, destroy the evil one and cast out the contentious. Abolish judgment and shame, lest he sit in the assembly and shame all of you. Probably the way you know the scripture is remove the mocker and strife will cease. Yea, or contentions will cease. Yea, strife and debate will end. That's a good old King James for you. Remove the mocker. So we look at this. Now, how many of you school teachers in here have ever had to remove the mockers? You know, I'm talking, you have those problem kids in your class. You move them to the front of the class. You separate them from this group of students. You put them over here. You do this until finally you can do nothing else but remove the little mockers. And what happens when you get them out? You want the strife will cease. Debate will end. So when you remove the mocker, what you are welcoming is peace comes in. And as we look at this, of course, this is a proverb, and it tells us in our life that there are lots of things in our life that have a a mocking voice. There are sometimes people in our life that are the mockers. There are some relationships in our life that we have to get rid of. How many of you have ever had to remove yourself from a relationship because it was a mocking force in your life? You know, I've heard fellowship defined like this. I think it's pretty good. It says fellowship is two fellows in a ship going to the same port. Fellowship. So the Bible says it like this. Bad company corrupts good morals. That's just another way to say two fellows in a ship going to the same port. And of course, the old parent adage is, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. 
So we look at that, and sometimes in our life there are people that we're around and they're mockers. They're a mocking force in our life. So we, we look at that, but if we unpack this a little bit more, in our environment as followers of Christ, we have a promise atmosphere, right? Do you believe we live in a promise atmosphere? If you don't, then you don't believe 2 Corinthians 1 and 2. It says, and the promises of God are... Yes, and in him we say amen to the glory of God. So all the promises of God are yes and in him amen. I looked up one time to find out how many promises are there in the word of God. And there is, it's the lower estimate is like 3,000. The high estimate is like 7,800. I wonder how many promises are we living under? Because every one of them is what? Yes. Yes. The yes. Christ says it's yes. What are we? He's just looking for us to echo the amen. So be it right here. And so we look at this. We find out that we are created for faith. We are created for a grace atmosphere. We're created in this promise atmosphere. So we have the biblical hope of salvation in John 10 and 10 that says that the thief comes to do what? Kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you, quote it right. It's better if you quote it right. I have come that you might, that's what it says. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. What does that mean? That there's something on our side that the might have life. Now, has he finished life and life abundantly? We already know that all the promises of God are yes, and in him the amen to the glory of God. But the fact of the matter is, how many of you, I know not you, but how many of you know someone who is not living fully in the atmosphere of promise? Not living fully in the more than, more than enough. How many of you in this room tonight, there are some mockers against your promises? There's some mocking voices when it comes to your promises. The mocker remains. We have insecurity, accusation, slander, shame, lack of obsession. Anybody ever know I'm talking about? How many of you ever struggled with insecurity? Don't raise your hand. You can. You want to. See, that's a, it's a lack obsession. I never have enough. I never have enough. So insecurity is constantly. It's mocking, mocking, mocking. I can't. I'm afraid. I won't. I'm not. See, there's a mocking voice all the time playing over and over against the promises because you know that God says that you are more than able to do exceedingly in him abundantly above all we could ask or think, right? That all things are possible with God. You know that scripture, don't you? You know it. Do you believe it? Yet the mocking voice of insecurity says, I can't and I won't and I'll never be able to. And so we shrink back. And we are domesticated by the mocker. 
mocker. Remove the mocker. When we look at this, it's, a, it's an indictment against the cross. Is it? We, we live with this, and I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to hold your head under water, but I do want you to get without breath for a second. I want, I want us to feel the fact that if the promises of God are yes and amen, and if, and if we have more than, more than enough in Him, and the might is there, and, the, and the, there's a question mark over will abundant life be realized, I want us to feel the onus that there's something that we have to do. We have insecurity. Another group of people might be pride. Pride and insecurity are the same things. They just happen to be on the opposite ends of the spectrum. It's the same exact thing. It just has different output. Pride. We have compromise. People are dismissive, self-reliant, the ones who have it all figured out. Both those, both insecure and the proud, there's contention in their life. There's strife. There's debate constantly. How many of you have ever dealt with the debate in your own mind? You know, you've got like this little troublemaker in your mind. That's who I'm trying to get out tonight. It's like just like that little kid that we have in your classroom, you teachers, and you're like, if I could just get Johnny out of here. But how many of you have got that little troublemaker in your own mind? And we've learned to live with it, which is causing strife and contention and debate all the time. And we're in and we're out and we're up and we're down and we're great and we're not great anymore. Remove the mocker. And contentions will cease. Yes, strife and debate will end. How many of you like the strife and debate to end in your life, in your mind? We're going to remove the mocker tonight. So, I mean, we have, the question is, is in the body of Christ, is the church advancing well? Is the church advancing well? I just got a Inspire magazine, is the, uh, the Assemblies of God magazine. I think they put it out quarterly. And the front page said this this time. It said, the de-churching of America. The statistical data is the church is de-churching. 2020 caused a landslide of church evacuations. People never came back. They just, and so, and people are, and then you start, the, the statistical data comes out, and people are like, you know, it's just not for me. I just don't, I'm just, and so many, then you have big names, big names, like, Progressive Christianity just sweeping through the body of Christ. Is the church advancing well in these last days? I mean, you have great big names like Andy Stanley. How many of you know him? And he's got a huge church. And he's moved into the progressive lane of, you know, same-sex marriages. And, and so we look at this and we're like, man, we've got some, the mocking has even made it mainstream into the church population. 
And the ch is the church advancing? Well, if we could, the, the case of the mocker is here. Let's look at Galatians 4.29. I told you to go to 6, but I want to go to Galatians 4. This is kind of a very odd scripture. Galatians 4.29. Maybe it's one you've not thought of, or maybe you've got, you've got it nailed down pat. It just kind of strikes me as odd. It says, hmm, I'm going to go 20 now, okay. But just as at the time the one born according to the flesh persecuted the one born according to the spirit, so it is now. So who's it talking about? Who is the one born according to the flesh in this scripture? How many of you know that without going back and looking at it? It's Isaac. The scripture is talking about Isaac or, or excuse me, Ishmael and Isaac. So the one born according to the flesh is Ishmael. But what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but children of the free. So Paul is talking to the church at Galatians, and he sets up this interesting allegory where he bases it back in Genesis 21, a scenario that happened on the day that Isaac was weaned. How many of you know the story? On the day Isaac was weaned, he was doing something. I, Ishmael, his older brother, was doing something to Isaac. What was he doing? He was mocking him. Ishmael was mocking Isaac. The son of the one born, Paul sets up this whole scenario of the flesh and the spirit. And he puts Ishmael and Hagar in the realm of the one born according to the flesh. So we've already got a precedent set there. Where's the mocking occur? In the flesh. And then we have we have Isaac, one born according to the Spirit, because he was the promised child of Abraham and Sarah, the child that they were not able to have. And so on the day he was weaned, you see, in the biblical days, weaning would have been a big celebratory feast. And so we don't really know the time. Different say that he was weaned at three. Some say as much as 12. I mean, it does, the Bible doesn't say, so I guess we can't say either. But what we can say is that he was weaned. I believe he's probably younger because of all the things that happened after that. But on the day he was weaned, he was mocking his little brother. Now that's, how many think that's kind of, how many of you right now are going, what? And Sarah sees this, Ishmael mocking his little brother, and she says, get rid of him. Send him away. And so Hagar and Ishmael are sent packing. Abraham is really destroyed by this. And he goes to God and God says, she's, what she says is right, send him. I'll make him a great nation. Don't worry about him. So Abraham, wealthy Abraham, sends him out with a flask of water. How many of y'all are like, oh, that's, how many of y'all think that's kind of rough? 
seems real rough, doesn't it? I mean, you're like, wow, this that's terrible. That's terrible. You can't do this. I'm never reading the Bible again. This thing is full of people who are inhumane. Clock. That's what a lot of people do with the Bible. But we look at this, and Paul is setting up something here. Remember, we're removing the mocker because when we look at this scenario, what, what is God doing? Because, see, we look at the old covenant through a lens that's distorted because we are distorted people. Now, I have found a question, I feel, an answer to a question I've had forever. Jesus It said in the Bible that he could do nothing. He said that I can do nothing except what? Except what I see my father doing. And I've, I mean, I don't know what, how many of y'all have struggled with that scripture? Because it doesn't ever give us this scenario. When did he see the father? Like, was it all night? He'd go up in the prayer, his, you know, the mountain, and he would pray all night. And he, like, had visions. And then he would, like, get the, you know, the 411 from the father. And then that would give him his playbook for the next day. And, like, you gave him these visions. And he was writing them down. There's going to be a woman who's, okay, stone, but you're going to be, okay, do that. And, and I'm like, what? What is this? Like you would just go away and pray and you would get visions or you would get visions on the spot. How did this work? The Bible doesn't say anything, does it? How did you, I want to do what I see the fault. How did you do that? Anybody but me? And you're like, now I am. Now I'm kind of curious. Well, he said, I only see what I hear. So there's a hearing and a seeing there, right? How did that happen? I don't know. Where was this happening? Was it happening on the mountain? Where did it happen? So here, I think I found it out, y'all. Yeah. It just dawned on me. I was like, what did you see your father doing? It was just one day in prayer. It's like the Lord just whispered it to me. He said, Andrea, it's what I saw in the old covenant. What? It's what you saw in the Torah. It's what you saw in the prophets. So when you look through the lens, when Jesus, who was not distorted by sin, not at all, when he undistorted, no mocking voice of sin in his life, no mocking voice of separation and insecurity or pride or arrogance, nothing like that. When he, with a, with a pure lens, looked into the Word of God in the Old Covenant, he saw women caught in adultery who were required to be stoned by the law, but he saw a father who gave mercy. His interpretive structure was through an undistorted lens. He said, I see. So when I look at this scenario and me with my distortions, I go, that's just not fair. Anybody? Jesus can look through, I have to look, and I stand in Christ, and I go, okay, Paul, you're just using this allegorically and setting this up, but what if I can remove the mocker, if I can remove that distorted lens of sin and shame and confusion and separation from God, if I can remove that perception, what do I see? 
what do I see? And God telling Abraham, send him away. Well, all of a sudden, I start seeing colossal mercy. I start seeing the bigger picture. I start seeing a God's eye view. And instead of me forcing on God an unfairness and an unjustness, which is what my society tells me to, I see him through the lens of perfect love. And I see a God who preserved the promise because he loved you so much and me so much. Because what happens after mocking, pray tell? Murder. Murder follows mocking. And the promises in our own life are murdered at the mocking voice of sin and distortion that we carry. We don't see the promises fully bloom in our life because our distortions are so great. And Jesus looks into the eyes of the, of the Father and the law and his perfect divine nature, and he sees the God whose mercies are new every morning. So I believe that God instructed Abraham to send Isaac away to preserve, or Ishmael away to preserve Isaac. Because when he preserved Isaac, he preserved the birth of his son. And when he preserved the birth of his son, he carried through with the plan to see his son crucified. And he said, told Abraham, what was the promise to Abraham? That through you, Through your seed, not the seed that he got by way of the flesh, by doing things his own way. And that's what creates such mocking in our own life is when we go the way of the flesh trying to accomplish things through our own strength and our own power and our own might. Trying to negate the effects of sin in our life through selfish effort. Trying to overcome insecurity with braggadociousness. Is that even a word? It sounds like one. When we try to do these things. If we would just remove the mocker. Contentions would cease. Yes. Strife and debate would end. And so... Abraham instructs them to remove the mocker. It was weaning day. I can't help but think that in our own lives that as we are advancing in the things of God and we're maturing, there just seems to always be a mocker railing against our maturity. See, that's what Satan is. He's a constant, chronic mocker in your life. And we see that as Isaac rose up and received the blessing and Ishmael was sent away, we see another biblical theme that's just coming through and screaming at us, that Jesus called it this, and the last shall be first. And the first shall be last. We see this over and over again repeated. Cain killed Abel and Seth was raised up to the first. 
Jacob and Esau. Esau despised the birthright. Jacob was raised up. Ephraim and Manasseh crossed his hands, the last, the elder serving the younger, the last first and the first last. Like, why does this keep going on in the Bible? Just over and over and over again, we have this last is first and this first is last. It's because the first Adam will be last, and the last Adam will be first. Who is the last Adam? It's Jesus. And Colossians says that he will come to have preeminence or first place in everything. So we see this whole biblical thing being played out all the time. Now the mocker, where do we see the first incursion of the mocker? The first incursion of the mocker. In the garden, yeah, right there. How did this go? What we look at in the, in the garden, innocence was mocked. Mankind would be taught, but not by self-means. The serpent mocked God's creation, plan, and promise when he mocked Eve's progress. He mocked her progress her present standing in the garden. Now, you see that I've thought about this a lot, and I thought, you know, Adam and Eve, they were created perfect, right? Complete. They were created innocent. Now, they had, in some ways, I guess, obviously they were perfect, and they had all the law of God in them, but there was no law yet, so they had this righteousness, but they had, they had no experience yet to test the strength of their ability to decide, did they? They had made no good or bad decisions. They hadn't, you know what, we know they didn't have any experiences yet because they didn't have children. Children will test your righteousness. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, children test your righteousness. So, you know, they were innocent, but they, they might not have stayed innocent long because they hadn't had kids yet. I'm just kidding. But the fact is, they were. They were innocent in that. So Eve's progress, the, the serpent mocked her progress. It went something like this. The serpent said, you're not enough. I know y'all never hear this. You're not enough. Eve said, well, that doesn't sound right. The serpent said, oh, yes, take it from me. It's true. I'm a more advanced creation. I know what's true. And you are definitely not measuring up as you are right now. You need knowledge of good and bad. And then you'll be what you need to be. Eve said, well, if I'm not measuring up, then that fruit looks like what I need. Sounds good, probably tastes good, and it will apparently fix the problem that you have so graciously pointed out. Now, what's the background in this drama? Well, the background is, is Adam didn't step in. He didn't step in. He didn't assert his authority by removing the mocker. You're like, wait a second. Well, let's look at this. Psalm 8, 5 through 8 says this. You have made them, mankind, a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. What? Everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and animals of the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, and all that swim in the paths of the sea. So a serpent came making a suggestion. Who had authority over the serpent? 
Adam and Eve had the authority. And so we look at we look at the fact that it says in Genesis 3, 6, and when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. So where was Adam at? Right there. Right there. Right beside her. Could he have removed the mocker? How would that have looked? Have y'all played that anti-history back in your mind? You know what I'm saying? Like he's right there and he's having a conversation with Eve. And, and I mean, what do you do at that point? What do you do at that point? When the mocker comes slithering with his lies to you or your family, what do you do? You don't shrink back. That's what we shouldn't do, but I'm afraid that that's not what actually happens all the time. I'm afraid that that's not the reality that we're living under is because we think that the promises of God are something that we just have to, they just, they just kind of descend on us like the dew. You know, and they're either there or they're not. And when we have opposition, then they're not there. And when we feel when there's no opposition, then the promises are there. But that's not... That's not congruent with the Bible. That if you have dominion over, you have the right to exercise authority. Is that not true? So when the voices of insecurity and doubt and fear and drama and trauma and uh, da, 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 and worry and it won't work out and why and who and how and oh no. Mock and mock and mock and mock against your promises. You know the promises, and it's mocking and mocking and mocking. And you constantly, you just got to need the frog. Y'all don't do this, though, do you? See, the mocking, remove the mocker. I don't, I don't know how to do that. So we look at this. Adam was in participation with deception. He was in participation with deception, but not having the conversation with the serpent. He was just a participant. Eve was deceived, but not Adam. That's what 1 Timothy says. To, Paul says that to, to Timothy in 2.14. It says that Eve was deceived because she was having the conversation, but not Adam. But he did not operate in his headship. And that's what Paul's talking about there to Timothy in the church. He's saying, guys, we, he's talking to the men in the church saying, you need to operate in your headship because Adam didn't and it didn't go so well. So I tell you today, men, you need to operate in your headship. As the high priest of the home, for too long, women have had to carry the spiritual torch of the household. We hear about praying grandmothers, not praying grandfathers too much. Little gray-haired women who are praying. I'm like, where are the gray-haired men who are praying? 
So you see what I'm saying there? Eve, that's what Paul, he's trying to make that connection. He's not trying to make a connection about women are less than men. He's trying to draw us back to the garden dilemma when a man didn't stand up and didn't take his authority because God had given him authority over every creeping thing on the earth. Now, Maybe the snake didn't creep at this time, but he creeped later. But even all the way down to the highest of everything on the earth, man had authority. All the way down to the lowest creeping thing, he had authority. So when a snake shows up and talks to you about something other than what God said, remove the mocker. This is for y'all. Because you've got a garden right here inside of you. And how many of you find on a daily basis there's, a, there's some sort of a criminal, a mocker who tries to move into the garden and pollute that Edenic reality in you of the promises of God, of the fruitfulness of God, of the provision of God, of the blessing of God. Remove the mocker and contentions will cease. Yes, yeah, strife and debate will end. So as we look at this, this is not an option for us. This is not like senior Christian living and the rest of the people who will never achieve it are just going to limp along. And after this happened in the garden, it was like, bam. The mocker had fallen ground. He had the flesh to sow his corrupted seed into. This began the journey of fallen man deceived and living out the plans of darkness in a realm that was not created to bear the weight of darkness. Thus the cry of creation began as the weight of its fallen progenitors trod this soil, sailed the seven seas, and flew the friendly skies. This would be un would have been, would have been unchallenged earthly rulers became subjugated, challenged, changed, polluted, and dialed in to the lying voice of a rival God who wanted to be worshipped, beheld, and reproduced through individuals who would manifest his distorted image to God's cosmos. The field of fallen ground, the heart of man, the field of darkness had begun to grow. And we live today under the weight of this fallenness. But God didn't give up. He didn't give up there. Aren't you glad? His instruction still continued to move. The psalmist said this, thy word is what? A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The psalmist declared this. Oh God, your word is my light. He was removing the mocker. Satan appears, oddly enough, as what? An angel of... You see, light in the biblical understanding of light, it's not... That's part of it. But if we think of light in those contexts, light is better defined biblically as illumination or understanding. 
You know, whenever someone gets a great idea in a cartoon, what shows up? A light bulb. Poof. The light comes on. Illumination. They have revelation. See, light is revelation. Now, follow me here. If, the, if Satan comes as an angel of light. Now, many of us, how many of you thought he's just wrapped in a pretty package? It's not so much that. It's kind of that. It's kind of that. But here's what it is more importantly. When Satan comes with his lies, with his mocking appeal, he disguises it. He wraps it in revelation. That's what he did with Eve. This is the smart way, Eve. It seemed it was his revelatory knowledge. Satan comes and brings his light to your circumstance, and he tells you to respond according to his light. Now, the Bible says this. Jesus said, the eye is the what? The lamp of the body. And if your eyes are single... And your whole body is full of light. If your eye is the lamp of the body, let's think about this for a second. The eye is not the light of the body, is it? The eye is the lamp of the body. The eye being the lamp of the body says this. A lamp is not the light. A lamp only holds or processes the light. That's what your eye does. It takes in light and it processes and creates the images you see. So the eye is the lamp of the body. The light... That set in your eye informs you how to process. So the light being the lamp, the eye being the lamp of the body is your perception. Because Jesus said, in how great if your if the light within you, if the light within you is darkness, what did we say light was? What? Perception. Light is also revelation. Light is revelation. If the light within you is darkness, follow me here. If the revelation within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So if the revelation you're receiving is from the one disguised as an angel of light, you have no trouble believing the voice of insecurity. That's your revelation of yourself. And it creates your human perception of yourself. And being a light as it is, a light becomes, your perception becomes the candle you pick up. And what do you do with it? The psalmist said what you do with it. Tells you, informs your next step. So your walk is being crafted by the revelation you're listening to. And if Satan is presenting himself as an angel of revelation, you can easily be listening to his voice, the voice of a mocker, and plotting your every step by the voice of fear, insecurity, distortion, doubt, grief, hopelessness, dread, anxiety. Oh, and going, oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help me. I'm so depressed. I'm so cast down. I can't. And the Lord is saying, cast out the mocker. 
change your light. If the light within you is darkness, Jesus said it. How great, how great is the darkness. I wonder how great is the darkness in the church. It's only as dark as the individuals who attend it, as their understanding. See, men love darkness rather than light, at least their deeds be made known, because darkness, revelation, Satan's revelation of who they are has certain deeds attached to it, and then those deeds are shameful. So we hide from God's revelatory light, the lamp. You see, when I was a teenager, I used to go coon hunting with my dad. Go raccoons. You know, you go out, you go out with walker hunting dogs. You know, how many of you have seen where the red fern grows? That was me. I never read the book. I just watched the movie. You know, nothing. Like, I'll say, I'll quote Mike on this. I never read a book. It'll run a good movie. You know, he always says, he always says, the book, he always, you always hear this, the books are so much better than the movie. He's, I don't want to ruin a good movie with a book. That's right. So, <laughs> so that was, that's what we would do. My, we, had, we had these dogs, hunting dogs, and my dog's name was Susie Q. And so we would go out, and I, I hunted with my dad till I was about 15. And then he had this teenage boy that was a little older than me that started hunting with us, and he told my dad he was going to marry me, and I quit hunting after that. I was done. I was not going. I loved it. There's nothing more fun to me than you go out in the wood. You park your pickup on a dirt road, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. It's dark. And we had this, I was so country, y'all. My dad had this barometer thing that he made. You put colored water in it, and you put, it, you put, a, you put a, um, a Coke bottle in a, in a jar, in a mason jar, and you put colored water in the bottom, and when the barometer rises, the water sucks up into the, into the Coke bottle. And that's how you know the barometer's on the rise. And so when that red water got in that Coke bottle, it was time to go hunting. Ellie Mae. Get your boots on. We're going. He'd say, Andrew. So we call Andra. You ready to go hunting? Yeah, let's go. We had load up the dogs, and he and my uncle, and he had a bunch of old friends that would go with him, and we would, we would let the dogs loose, and this is what you did. You just go off into the woods, and you sit down, and you listen, and you go, oh. You could tell the difference in their bark. Different barks had different signal, different things, because they were after, if they were, you know, different, if they were treeing or not treeing, but they get on a trail, and you'd tell by their bark would change. My dad, they'd all say, let's go, they're treeing. So we had, we had, it's middle of the night, and we're in the woods, and we had wheat lights, headlamps. See, we had a lamp, and if you don't have that lamp on, no, I mean the road, the, the, there's not a road here. It's unpredictable. I mean, you don't know if you're in briars or rattlesnakes or both. And so you had, if you don't have that lamp, but I wasn't, I was too young. I didn't, I didn't get a headlamp. My dad had a cool headlamp, you know, that you had on. I had a flashlight. But that, see, that light provided me with my revelation of where I was going. That light determined my next step. See, that's how it works in your life. The psalmist said what? What did the psalmist say? Thy word is a 
lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You are traveling in your daily life. You travel through wrecked marriages. You travel through terrible job places. You have family situations. You have all kinds of turbulent places. It's full of briars and snakes and pitfalls and all kinds of things. And if you don't have the right kind of light... How are you deciding where to step? I know so many don't have the right kind of light because every time night falls and they're required to run through the woods, they can't do it. And they're caught up in the, in the briars of sin and they're snake bit by another snake and they're twisting their ankles on the rocks of compromise. Because they don't have the light. Cast out. Thy word is a lamp. We are responsible for our light. I'm responsible for mine. And you're responsible for yours. But hear this. We're not just responsible for the light we use. to Our revelation to determine the next step. We are response-able. We have the ability to respond. He's given that to us. See, that's the definition of grace I have taken to use. We always say grace, unmerited favor, unmerited favor, as though we can use any light we want and still come out on top. That won't work. See, here's my definition of grace. The ability to do hard things. See, grace is not just some fluffy carry you through and avoid all the problems of life. How many of you found grace to be that way? How many of you, since you were saved, you've never had another problem? Raise your hand really high and wave it at me because I want to know where you're at. Yeah, I didn't think you were out there. Didn't work that way, does it? Because you are responsible for your revelation of Christ. You're responsible for your revelation in your own life. And you are responsible. How do I know? If you have the Holy Spirit, if you have faith, you have grace working in your life, you can do hard things. You can do it. What do you mean? You can overcome insecurity. Well, that's hard. You got grace, though. You can be healed. You can be delivered. You can be set free. How, 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 how? Get the light of the word, of the revelation of Christ. Understand grace and start lighting your path with the word of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You are the light of the world. Oh, Jesus. Jesus said, and so are you. Everything I put my hand to does what I heard you say, prospers. I mean, that's, those are fun words to quote, aren't they? But they really only count when it's dark and it's time to make it through the briars and the snakes and the rocks. That's when it really counts. Anybody can walk in the daylight. It's when it counts. It's when the opponent is there. When the mocker's there. You've got, 
if I could just get people to understand this. When can you throw out the mocker? This is not hard. When he's there. When he's there. If he's not mocking you, you can't get to him. But when he shows up and says, you better quit, you're of no use, you're of no good, I got him now. How do I know he's here? He's mocking me. You hear that mocking voice saying, I can't be healed, saying, I can't be filled, I can't be delivered. What's he doing? Bring it. Come on in, mocker. Get a little closer. Come on. Come on. Come on. The word. See, many times we, won't, we don't understand this. We think the Lord, Lord, come and throw away the mocker. I have given you dominion. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth belongs to me. Go in that authority and make disciples of all nations. Cross every boundary. Go high. Go low. Go in the dark. Go in the prisons. Go everywhere that you can possibly think to go. Because the mocker has been destroyed. Now, what do I have to do? Cast him out. I mean, this is not hard, but it's super difficult. We're going to quit. The voice of the mocker, he always shows up and says, Did God say? Did God say, hmm, did he say, hmm, what's he doing? You know what I hear when he says that? He's striking his match, trying to light his candle. He's trying to give me his revelation of the circumstance. Tempting me to pick up his candle. And plot my next step according to his suggestion. And see, many of us want victory. We want victory so badly, we just didn't understand what it meant to have victory. I was a basketball player, and a real good one too. Now, I can't prove that. You just have to take my word for it. That's all I can do this morning, is just tonight, just tell you I was good. But I have never, ever, won a game without an opponent. Never. My coach, can you believe this, scheduled a whole roster of opponents. Called it game day. We practiced all week, ran plays, and then he tested our skills against an opponent. How sadistic. He should have just given us wins. He should have just clapped his hands and called us champions. He should have just handed us all out trophies and said, you're great. It's not what happened. He taught us how to perform under pressure. And he brought the opponent to us, or he brought us to the opponent And he said, do what I told you to do. And we won games when we applied our skill against his skill. And we canceled his skill in our life 
through our experience of winning. And then through enough of those wins, we became champions. We have a lot of people in the body of Christ trying to be champions, but they didn't know they were going to have to face the mocker. It's time for the church to cast out the mocker. Did God really say? Did he? Did God really say? Did God really say that you have the fruit of the Spirit? Did God really say, look at you? All it'll take for most of you, all it'll take is you just making the right decision one time in the face of the adversary. Just when you feel fear, instead of running from it and praying God takes it away. Could you imagine if my coach, if when the opponent showed up and it was time to go out there and jump ball, because that's what I did, you know, of course. I don't know why. I'm six foot tall nearly. So it's time to go out there and jump ball. If instead of getting out there and getting in position, you know, ready to jump, if instead of doing that, I was over there on the bench going, oh, please make him go away. Please, God, make him go away. That's what the church, that's the posture the church has had. It's like, what? I have scheduled a victory for you. See, the difference in the basketball game is I wasn't sure who was going to win and lose. But the Bible says that he causes us to triumph in all things. So what opponent wouldn't you face if you knew you couldn't lose? Well, the problem is the church won't face the opponents because they're not sure they won't lose. Because instead of the revelation of the Word of God and the power of the cross and the victory of the cross, they're using the light revelation of Satan and going, did he say? Let's stand to our feet in this house. We have to be willing to use the light of the Word of God. You are responsible. Galatians 6 says this. You can read it through 2 through about 6 or 8. It's a, maybe six. It's funny. It says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Then it says a few things and it goes and it says this, like Paul has some sort of a, a fit. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Each man is to bear his own burden. What? I thought you just said bear ye one another's burdens. Each man. What that means is, is that you are neither independent nor dependent. We are interdependent. We are, you're to bear your own burden and you're to use your light and, and chase your devils. I'm to use, bear my burden, use the light of word of God and chase my devils. And then we're supposed to come together and help one another chase their devils. But we have to be working together. We all have to be willing to remove the mocker. Let's say it together. Remove the mocker and contentions will cease. Yes, strife and debate will end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us, Father, a clarity of your word, God, 
let the perception that invades our life be the perception, Lord God, that we are victorious, God, that the cross has settled it and we win, Lord God. And no matter what we face today or tomorrow, we face it, God, in victory that is already finished, God. Let our perception, let the light that invades, that holds in our lamp, God, of our perception be that of victory. And any mocking voice that it distorts the reality of that victory, God, we ask you, God, that you would give us the power, which we already know you've given it to us, and we will cast him out, Lord God, and we will not put up with the lies, and we will not put up with the fear, and we will not put up with the torment, God, for your word is true, and your word is the lamp unto my feet and the light unto my path, and every step that I take, Lord God, I take by the promise of your word and the victory that's assured, Lord God, for you will not abandon us us to the mocker. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, thank y'all. God is good. Glad you were here tonight. We got to pray for missionaries now. The missionaries we're praying for tonight are the Williams family. They are missionaries are serving in Berlin, and it's the atheist capital of Europe. Aaron and Emily desire to see souls saved and lives changed by the power of the Holy Spirit and have revival spread throughout Berlin. What I'm working on, I'm going to do, how many of you would enjoy having a list of all of our missionaries with their little blurb so you can pray for them? I'm going to make those available so you can have that and read it and begin to pray. Now, each Wednesday night, the entirety of our offering that we take up goes to support our 45 missionaries around the world. 45. Every month we support them. And we do that because we believe in the Great Commission. We believe that we are to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. We give some. We can all give. Some go. I would love to have some of you called to be a missionary. You should go. We'll send you out. But everybody prays. So as we close tonight, let's pray for, let's pray for Germany. And let's pray for the Williams as they are standing there on the soil tonight. And they are advancing the kingdom. Father, we pray, Lord God, for the Williams serving in Berlin. I pray, Lord God, as they stand, Lord God, in this godless society. God, in a place, Lord God, where the Reformation, God, even happened. Lord, we are reminded of how far a society can fall who, do not, who does not keep the light burning. And Lord, tonight we pray that the Williams, Lord God, would have... God, a passion and a zeal and a fervor to accomplish your kingdom there, Lord God, that you would anoint them with, with words of fire that would burn through the coldness in the atheist heart, Lord God, and that you would reveal yourself, Lord God, in miraculous ways and means, Lord God. We ask for protection on them and on their children, Lord God, that they would not be discouraged in this cold climate, Lord God, but that they, Lord, would have the passion and the fire of the Holy Spirit to continue, God, to do the 
work and bring in souls for their labor, Lord God. And tonight, as we give, we ask, Lord God, that every dollar that we give will be translated as souls, Lord God. For we know, Lord God, that when we give into your kingdom, Lord God, the eternal rewards will be great, Lord God. And only eternity will tell, Lord God, of all that has been accomplished by our minimal effort, God. You will accomplish maximum results, Lord. We thank you for it tonight and ask that you would bless the gift and the giver. God, let it go to further your kingdom throughout the four corners of the globe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.